Osinski's Inner Circle. I'm Bobby Osinski, and this is a show all about music, music production, and the music business. My guest today is Mike Dickey and Russ Gavin from Jack Trip Labs. But first of all, you might think TikTok is the hottest platform on the planet right now, and yeah, it probably is, but it's suffering just like all the other ones are as well. For instance, TikTok just cut its target for revenue by 20% or about $2 billion. So in other words, it thinks it's going to earn 20% less than it originally targeted at the beginning of the year. The reason for this is kind of widespread as far as the tech industry is concerned. That's a decline in advertising spend and a decline in e-commerce as well. But it goes a little deeper than that. Because employees say that TikTok overspent on salaries and social events and travel and too extravagant in general. Now, TikTok came back and said, the pay is more about trying to attract the best employees. But when they got those employees, then ByteDance, which is the parent company of TikTok, killed the IPO that they said they were going to have. This in Silicon Valley, this is always a big deal. You sign up because you're going to get some shares of stock and therefore make some money when the company does their IPO or they go public and the company's on a stock exchange. Well, ByteDance killed this, and as a result, there's a whole lot of employees that jumped. Now, it turns out this is not the only thing that's troubling TikTok right now. The record labels are complaining about the payouts, which are really small. I'm sure you're aware that in the past, everyone complained about the payouts of YouTube, but YouTube is way, way better than TikTok. For instance, if you have a million views, you make about eight bucks. That's all. Now on YouTube, you can make anywhere between 500 and 2,000. So there's a big difference there. The way most people actually make their money on TikTok is by not the views on their own videos, is having other people use their music on their videos. But even that isn't that good. It's been reported you only make about $150 on 100,000 videos. So in other words, you have 100,000 people that really want to use your music on their video and all you make is 150 bucks for it. So as a result, what's happening is the record labels are really pushing hard on TikTok right now. It's kind of behind the scenes. You're not hearing too much about it, but you're going to pretty soon. So there are two big things here. TikTok is a lot more vulnerable than you might think because the labels are pushing for a better deal while TikTok is saying, well, our advertising rates are down. We're going to make less money, so we can't afford it. So this is going to cause a big battle in the near future. And as a result, it's really going to make a difference on what musicians, what artists, what songwriters are getting paid on the platform. If you have any questions or comments, you can send them to questions at bobbyosinski.com. Also, I'm pleased to announce that the fifth edition of my Mixing Engineers Handbook is now available. It's totally updated and includes new sections on mixing and immersive audio, self-mastering, new mixer interviews, and much more. Get your copy at a special discounted price at bobbyosinski.com forward slash handbook. That's bobbyosinski.com forward slash handbook. You can also find it on Amazon and Apple Books. And remember... You can learn all about the latest in music, audio, and production news when you sign up for my newsletter at bobbyosinski.com. There you'll also find out about openings for my latest online classes and special events. That's bobbyosinski.com. 
here's something that I found interesting. Meta, which is the parent company of Facebook, has a new audio data compression codec that it just came out with. Codec is a term for an encoder decoder. So basically what it's doing is it's encoding and making that data file smaller. So it takes up less space, less bandwidth. These are very important because they're used all the time in a lot of different devices and online. Well, Meta has their own now. It's called Encodec, E-N-C-O-D-E-C. And they claim it's going to compress the audio to be 10 times smaller than an MP3 with no loss in quality. And it's doing this by using a neural network. So it's smart. It's a smart codec. But you might think, well, why? There's not many uses for MP3s anymore, except for maybe podcasts. But actually, there is a need for data compressed audio, like cell phones or streaming media or the metaverse. Yeah, there we go. The metaverse, the big future for meta, for Facebook. Now, the thing is, there's already a codec like this. It's called Opus. But Encodec is said to be better quality, but it's slower and a lot more complex. And not only that, it's still in the research phase. Meta is actually doing a lot of audio research, surprisingly enough, in immersive audio and noise reduction. But most of it's destined for the metaverse, which means we might not ever get to use it. My guests this week are Mike Dickey and Russ Gavin of Jack Trip Labs. The Jack Trip Foundation is a nonprofit collaboration between Stanford University's Center for Computer Research in Music and Acoustics and Silicon Valley Software Entrepreneurs. Jack Trip Labs provides a low latency collaboration tool that makes it easy for musicians to perform together online. Mike Dickey, who's the CEO of Jack Trip Labs, founded his first company in high school and dropped out of Carnegie Mellon University to become a full-time entrepreneur. Since then, Mike has built and sold three startup companies. His latest venture was CloudMeter, which Splunk acquired in 2013. Prior to co-founding Jack Trip, Mike held various leadership roles at Splunk, focusing on engineering, architecture, infrastructure, and product management. Besides being the co-founder and COO of Jack Trip Labs, Dr. Russ Gavin is also the director of bands at Stanford University. A lifelong advocate for accessible music education, Russ has taught music in K-12 and collegiate environments, continuously seeking and creating opportunities to utilize technology in the music classroom. His research publications have appeared in the Journal of Research in Music Education, the International Journal of Music Education, Psychology of Music, the Journal of Music Teacher Education, and the International Journal of Clinical and Experimental Hypnosis. During the interview, we spoke about how Jack Trip Labs started, the things that contribute to latency and online collaboration, the musicians who are most sensitive to latency, why zero latency can actually be disconcerting to some players, why conference calling apps just won't cut it for music, and much more. I spoke with Russ and Mike via Zoom. Here's my first question. Who was Jack Tripp? Jack Tripp started uh, about 20 years ago as an open source software project at Stanford University. And it, it was started by our co-founder, Chris Chafe, and other colleagues of his at Stanford. And it, it, I guess it evolved over time, and especially during the pandemic. I first learned about it in 2020 when I was looking for different software that my son's boys chorus could use to sing together. And that's uh, when I learned about it and started playing around with it and testing it and getting involved. And 
I, uh, from there, I, I worked with Chris to start the Jocktrip Foundation in August 2020, which was kind of a, an expansion in the scope of what the name Jocktrip meant. It no longer was a, an open source project. Now it was actually a nonprofit entity that was trying to help as many musicians as possible around the world be able to play music together throughout the pandemic. And, uh, and then later on in uh, early 2021, it, it expanded a little bit further even with the, uh, the introduction of Jacktrip Labs, which is a public benefit corporation that we spun out that is uh, focused on uh, several different product lines that use the Jacktrip name, including the Jacktrip Virtual Studio, the Jacktrip Bridge Devices, and uh, Jacktrip Radio as well. Jacktrip isn't a real person. <laughs> No, um, I mean, I think there probably is somebody out there that's named Jack Trump, but that's not what the project was originally named after, at least. Well, I'm just curious, how did the name come about? Because, you know, first thing you think of is there's a person called Jack Tripp. That's what I think, anyway. Well, to hear Chris tell the story of creating this, you know, Jack is, uh, you know, reference an audio Jack, but also a software that exists out in the world. And at the time that he actually created this, people had used the internet to connect two people at a time. And that was something that had been successfully done. Again, this is a long time ago. And the trip stands for triple because this technology was the first that we are aware of or believe existed that did connect three simultaneous people in the uncompressed lossless format. Again, this was nearly 20 years ago that the original concept and the original uh, source code came into existence. So that's, that's where the trip comes in. Okay, okay, that explains it. All right, before we get into Jack Trip and all the things that happens within the foundation, let's find out about you guys first. Uh, Russ, let's start with you. So give me some of your background and how you got to where you are today. Yeah, I'm just a really lucky band guy. And by band, for your audience, I mean concert band and marching band and those kinds of things. Uh, I loved listening to your episode with Justin because he's a trombone, uh, you know, he's a trombone player who is a marching band nerd from Pennsylvania. Interestingly enough, uh, I'm the only person not from Pennsylvania on this call as well. But uh, yeah, my background is I've always been a music teacher. Uh, I've been a brass player. I've uh, my I've been very fortunate to get a few degrees along the way. My PhD is in music education, and a lot of my focus has been in asking how are we doing? How are, how can we do this music education piece better? Looking at new and interesting ways of being an accessible space. Music education can be a little bit narrow in focus at times. Um, and uh, I ended up, I was at Baylor as a professor of music education for uh, seven years. And then I came out to Stanford to be director of bands. And that was six years ago. And as Mike said, when the pandemic hit, a lot of people, we just kind of started looking around saying, how do we do the things we love to do? And I was lucky enough to be at Stanford where I got connected to Chris and then got connected to Mike by way of Chris and then got to be a part of this Jack Trip journey. And that is fundamentally about making the ability to do music more accessible, easier, more fun, all of those things. Okay, Mike, how about you? A little bit about your background, please. So my background is primarily in enterprise software. I, I started writing code when I was in single digit ages, uh, probably around eight or nine years old, uh, working on my dad's color computer at home back in the 80s. 
And I, I started out just by typing in code from Rainbow Magazine so that I could play the video games that were printed in there. And, and that got me uh, learning basic programming. And then later I learned C and other languages all on my own. Uh, I went to, to college at Carnegie Mellon and uh, left after the first year and a half to work full time in my first startup company. And that company uh, built a database software for websites and uh, building dynamic web applications. And from there, I, I built and sold three different companies to various enterprise software uh, ventures. And the last one I, I built was a company called Cloud Meter that I sold to Splunk, which is a big data software company based in, uh, in uh, the Valley here. And uh, at the time, so I was working at Splunk when I first heard, heard about Jackdrip and when I uh, first started looking into what software was out there. And uh, I, I was on the board of a local boys course called Rigazzi. And my son is a member, had been a member for half of his life at that point. He was, it was a huge part of his life. He would wear the Rigazzi shirt almost every day to school and everywhere just because he was so proud of it. And it was such a, an integral part of his identity, what he was doing there and being able to sing and learning music. And when the pandemic came and kind of shut everything down, I just uh, recognized that was going to have a, a significant impact on not just him, but everybody that was in the music industry. And I, I watched them trying to sing together over a Zoom call and realized that was never going to work out and tried to understand why. And I started out trying to understand, well, what's the technology they're using? What's the physics involved? What are the limitations that we're running into? And, uh, I just started learning as much as I, I could about the this, this space and about audio, audio engineering. It's always been a, music has always been a huge passion of mine. So I found it as a, you know, as a wonderful project to really dig in on a personal level. And as I mentioned, I read your, your book in that process, the, the, uh, and I, I just, I, I really tried to learn as much as I could and try everything that was out there. And, uh, that's how I kind of got involved in Jack Trip. All right, well, let's talk a little bit about what Jack Trip Labs does. And I'm really curious about this because I know of other solutions that are out there that claim to be low latency and don't prove to be. So tell me about what you're doing. What we do is, uh, I think, pretty unique in this space because we're leveraging what's known as edge computing. Um, it's just kind of a segment of cloud computing, which is something from my my former life in enterprise software that I was pretty deeply involved in. And the idea is that you're able to take the advantage of cloud computing in order to put applications, uh, place them as close as possible to the people that are using them. And one of the biggest advantages of this is that those, anybody who's interacting with those applications can, can do so with extremely low latency because uh, it doesn't have to, the, the data from that person to the application doesn't have to go so far. W what that means is we're, we're able to kind of leverage this cutting edge technology to enable really large groups to have extremely low latencies at many different locations around the world. When you say low latency, what does that mean? It depends. And, and I think that's where it kind of gets confusing and, and fuzzy because th there's several different factors that come into play with latency. And one of those is the, the audio hardware that you're using. So just the, the encoding and the decoding of your audio 
uh, incur some amount of latency. And when I started, the, the devices that I was testing had fairly high latency numbers in the tens of milliseconds. Over the past couple years, uh, you can now buy a $60 AudioBox Go that has a three millisecond kind of latency on it. So the industry has really been pushing the edge on that. Uh, another aspect of latency is the, the last mile uh, between your home and the internet or the your internet provider. And that, that varies a lot based on your internet connection. So there's different types of connections out there. Uh, DSL, cable, fiber, they all have different latency characteristics. And everybody's familiar with bandwidth, internet bandwidth characteristics. You know, everybody wants that gigabit download. Um, but latency is different. And you can have a gigabit download and have really poor latency. And that's something that um, we've, we've learned and have been helping to educate people about. Uh, in general, the best internet connection type by far is fiber internet connections. And so I'm a huge advocate of any company that is <laughs> that has uh, fiber connections because it makes a huge difference. And we're talking tens of milliseconds of difference. Uh, for example, at my home, I have a, a round trip latency to our studio, our virtual studios of about seven milliseconds. Wow. So that's going out and back to my house, only seven milliseconds. And that varies. So it varies anywhere from seven milliseconds to 30 milliseconds, depending on what connection type you might have. And the other factor of latency is, is how far away you are. So uh, the farther away uh, the, the studio is, the more latency you're going to have. And the farther away the people that you're trying to play with, the more latency you'll have. And uh, it, it depends you know, where you live, what the internet connection is around where you live, what the backbone is going from you to other people. So this is, I think, where it, there's a, it becomes confusing because what works really well for some people may not work well for other people, depending on where they live and what kind of connection they have. And unfortunately, it's, it's a general like, accessibility problem that I think the industry needs to solve, both with uh, better, better internet connections and better education and understanding. I was going to get fiber into my house a couple of years ago, AT&T, and the technician... <laughs> God bless him. I mean, he was an honest guy. He came and he looked around and he said, well, you know that it's not really fiber going into your house. It's just fiber coming into the neighborhood. And it turns out that it wouldn't be that much different than what I was getting with cable. Now, it may have changed since then, but then that was the problem. And as I understand it, that is a problem because fiber really has to come to your house in order to get the advantages that you're talking about, right? Absolutely. And, and I think that, that that's a, a bit confusing in the industry right now where there's a number of services that might talk about fiber or might talk about gigabit. And they, they, it becomes confusing at what that really means in terms of latency and what you're getting at your house. But ultimately having the, the fiber optic come directly into your house, into a box that's sitting there is what you, you really want. And the services that offer that are the best. Now, what about the uh, bridge that you guys offer? So what, what is the advantage of that? Well, we started out with uh, what we call these bridge devices, and they're, they're basically uh, these microcomputer Raspberry Pis that have uh, audio cards in them. And the one version has an audio device that's built in for analog audio, and the other does not. So it just works with any USB audio device. And we started out w with those just because it, uh, it was easiest to get people up and running very consistently. Uh, in particular with Regazzi, I wanted to be able to put together a kit and hand it out to the boys 
and they could just plug everything in and connect and go. They didn't have to worry about downloading software and permissions and drivers and anything else that might might be involved. And um, and so that we've had those available for a couple of years. And just a, a few months ago, we launched a software application for Jackdrip so that you can download it now on uh, Windows, Mac, or Linux computers. And you can use that software app in, in place of a bridge. You no longer need to have a, a separate piece of hardware to use Virtual Studio. That's cool. Is there a limitation to the, the software? In other words, the number of people, acquires tend to be very big, but is there a limitation to the number of computers it can be on? That's one of the real key differentiators between what we're doing using the cloud approach and what some other folks are doing. Because the answer uh, to your question is fundamentally no. We've had as many as 200 people singing simultaneously in the virtual studio, uh, a really amazing accomplishment that Mike pulled together for the Ragazzi Boys Choir. And that was in December of 2020, to give you an idea. Uh, so yeah, the the number of actual inputs, uh, I know that we have synthetically tested up to around 500 uh, with the idea that you probably don't want 500 bass players rocking out with you simultaneously. But um, it, it really is one of the huge advantages that our approach to this problem has attended to is that how many people do you want to make music with? Yeah, that's cool. We're here for it. This latency thing. I'm thinking about it. And I'm thinking, okay, 20 milliseconds, 30 milliseconds. You can kind of get away with it with the choir and it won't be all that terrible. With players, it's different. And I've run into this. I was a consultant for a company that was building some, oh, some, uh, guitar devices that were digital in nature. But the latency was fairly low. I mean, we're, we're talking five, six milliseconds, and there were people who were saying, I just can't deal with this. This is too much. I know you've dealt a lot with singers, but does that also apply to players? Yeah, I, I will share one of the first things I did once I found out that this technology existed is I actually took it to drummers. I find drummers to be the most latency sensitive people by some stretch usually. And I just wanted to see if it would work for them, how it would work. Did that, what, what did their threshold look like in terms of the latencies that they would tolerate compared to voc vocalists, compared to wind musicians or guitarists. And we found that getting them into that range that Mike is talking about for the large majority of them, they were fine. I, I actually found the threshold that was most common, and this is not studio drummers. This is, you know, mortals out there in the world, <laughs> but that if we got them into that 11 or 12 millisecond, like pocket that they could have really, really successful music sessions and that Mike, you know, it's interesting, Mike having fiber. I actually, we, where I live, uh, it's also in Silicon Valley, but we don't have fiber where I am. And so I'm on normal broadband and my connection comes in routinely around 14 milliseconds. And for my sensitivity, it's still really, really, really a great experience. When I get up to closer to 20, 21, yeah, it gets a little, a little hairy, but we, we do find exactly kind of what you're alluding to. Musician sensitivity to latency varies. Um, we, we do believe though, with the optimal setup on our platform and what we feel we've seen is that we get people where they need to be, uh, the, the people you're talking about, 
who, you know, an eight millisecond uh, latency experience is going to throw them off. We find that is not that common, candidly. And the research in psychoacoustics also proves that out, but we don't have to go down all that nerdy literature. And it's absolutely true. We're talking about A-level studio players that were feeling this, and of course, they're they're in a stratosphere above everybody else. They're not real players. You know, in the context of, that's not what the average player is dealing with. So, yeah, they're a lot more sensitive. Down to the point where a millisecond or two was making a difference. Yeah, it can make a difference. I think there's likely a threshold, and it, it depends depending on a number of factors. One is what type of music you're playing. Another is what type of instrument. And a third is just your, your general brain plasticity and how like how you feel about latency, how much you've tried to play with latency and things. And um, and it, it varies. And, and it, I think there's kind of a threshold that once you once you go over that threshold, just one extra millisecond, then it, everything kind of falls apart. That's at least what I've what I've seen in practice so far. So we try to try to optimize everything as much as possible to stay below that threshold. But it, it just depends. But it's interesting to note that five to six milliseconds of latency is is similar to being five to six feet away from somebody. So if they have a, a bass speaker or a guitar speaker, um, you're not going to have your ear right next to that speaker. You're going to be six feet, 10 feet away from it. And that's the same as six to 10 milliseconds of latency. So as humans, like latency is just part of the natural world. It's something that everybody experiences all the time. And our brains expect there to be latency. We've actually found that if you go below a threshold, you have the same problem. If you have too little latency, it's just as hard and it just is uncomfortable for people. So there needs to be some, some kind of range there to make it sound realistic. What does the research say? Russ, you just say, you, you mentioned about the, you know, research, I'm sure you Exactly uh, what Mike just said. Our, our colleague, Chris Jafe had a really interesting study where he had people reacting to latency. And I want to say, I know the, the sweet spot that he found was in the nine to 11 millisecond range, that that's actually what people were actually perceived as zero latency. And I want to say when it got under under seven or six, there, there was a point where people were deeply uncomfortable and they might not even, even known why, but that their brain was telling them this is not a natural acoustic environment because it was so instant. Um, and that's been demonstrated in a few studies that if you actually go for something that is a zero latency experience, your brain is like, that's not right. That's not a human thing. Uh, Cause the brains are super elastic. That's the thing uh, as Mike was referring to. And we find when people come into the virtual studio, more like they're walking onto a stage that, and they allow their brain to adjust in their ears and everything else to, hey, wait a second, I've played on stages where I'm 30 feet away from a sound source and we make it work. And I think one of the interesting things that we work through is when people put headphones on, they do have the psychological expectation of precision or excellence or something along those lines. And when we remind them, no, no, you're in a live stage, not uh, that that they get there, they get there really quickly. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does, and especially the zero latency thing, because I've experienced that myself, where I've listened to something that was zero latency, or there's a zero latency setting, and I go, there's something wrong with this, and not knowing what to put my finger on there. So that explains it. 
And and latency isn't everything too. I think in sound and the realism of sound, like it, it's a it's a huge part of it. But another part of it is just like the quality, like being able to hear the different frequencies, the upper frequencies, the lower frequencies, not having it be ultra com- compressed like all of these conference call platforms have. Um, the, these I think contribute a lot to the realism of the experience of people interacting with one another. Also, things like like reverb. You don't normally play music in a completely dry room or in an, a sound chamber um, that, that has absolutely no no acoustics, and and so being able to to, uh, to to process the audio, it shouldn't all be panned directly to the center. All these different things that make it seem very unrealistic, and and this is another thing that I think differentiates uh, our platform with Jacktrip Virtual Studio is that we have technology called soundscapes that uses uh, digital signal processing running on these cloud edge servers that uh, allows you to make the sound a lot more realistic. You can use things like convolution reverbs and compressors and limiters. And we have a number of different presets so that it sounds like you're in different environments. If you want to see what it's like to do a, a concert in a cathedral or on a stage or something, you can you can use this in order to simulate that live with the other people that you're playing with, as opposed to having this this dry, pan-centered uh, audio uh, that we're, we've all sadly become more accustomed to with the, the conference calling that we do. And Virtual Studio is free, right? It's free. Uh, yeah, it's free for uh, up to 10 musicians, up to 30 minutes, as much as they want to use it. Um, we have subscription plans beyond that, where you, you pay uh, as little as $10 a month to uh, play for longer with more people. And uh, it's also completely free if you're using Jacktrip Radio, which is our live broadcasting platform. So Jacktrip Radio lets you share music with other people anywhere in the world. Uh, You can just click a button, you get a link, and you can share that link with other people on social media or email or however you want. And with that link, they can then listen into your performance using any browser on any platform anywhere in the world. Now, when you say it's full bandwidth, what does that mean? Full, uh, full, uh, spectrum. So full frequency range. Uh, we don't compress the audio. It's fully lossless audio, both the audio that the musicians hear when they're playing together, as well as the audio that we send to anybody who's listening. And as far as I know, there's no other live streaming service that'll give you lossless audio. I mean, certainly not unlimited for free. So it doesn't matter what the resolution is on the input side then. It handles it, right? It, it handles different resolutions. Um, our, our, our bridge device will automatically adjust the resolution for you to whatever the studio is running at. For the, the software on your computer, you have to match uh, whatever you've set up the studio to run at, if it's uh, 48 or 44 watt or 96 kilohertz, for example. Okay, but it will do 96K, which is amazing. <laughs> Indeed. I, and, you know, my story, I remember very clearly the first time I was on the Jack Trip Virtual Studio platform because the sound was beyond anything I had ever heard before. I was actually playing duets with a saxophone player from down the road, and I could hear the overtones in his sound, and I could hear the clarity of the articulation between the T and the D tongue. Or, you know, it was just, it was a depth of sonic understanding that I'd never gotten in a digital space. It was, it was shocking. And I was and you know, when you when you take that and yeah, the the things that we've been doing to make that experience easier for people to 
access. It's, it's pretty exciting. Jacktrip.com. We would get yelled at if we didn't say that right. But <laughs> uh, but the, the software download is free as well. So anybody who's listening, desktop, laptop, just put, you know, you can you can access all of this technology for free right now. And the idea that we're seeing people, you know, get connected, make more music, have a good time, find new people to play with. Like it's, it's a very exciting frontier to explore. So tell me about the connection with the San Francisco girls course. Yeah. With uh, the, an amazing, amazing crew over there, very forward thinking uh, musicians and just, just really fun people to work with. They found after Agatsi had kind of demonstrated that this was possible in early winter, late fall of 2000, uh, 2020, the SFGC said, oh, we want to look into this as well. And they got it. They got excited about it. Three weeks after plugging their bridges in, they did a concert on the platform. And then they kept using that uh, for some period of time, um, you know, as, as the p- pandemic was ebbing and flowing. And then they realized uh, in the same way we have that the post-pandemic implications of the technology far more exciting than uh, anything that when it was kind of a, a lifeboat um, and they said, hey, we, we have this amazing teaching team. We have this amazing curriculum that we've developed. And now we can share it with all of the young people in California that have a computer. And they launched SFGC Connect. And that's exactly what they're doing. This is, they've rolled that out. They actually got it accredited. Uh, they're, very, you know, they're very smart people over there. And so they have students using the virtual studio to learn choral singing and all of the other amazing uh, things their teachers convey to their students over there um, on the Jack Trip uh, virtual studio. And it's, it's something that's allowing, again, it's it, kids, some kid who's living 300 miles away from this elite choral director is now getting to learn from them. It like the idea that, you know, it, it's a pretty well understood phenomenon that talent, the distribution of talent in the world you know, you can get really, really amazing people in places, but they may not have access to the pedagogy, to the experiences to get them where they might uh, be able to otherwise. And that our technology is allowing that to happen. It's one of the most exciting parts about it, uh, just for the company in general, because the impact is pretty, pretty cool. It's audio and video, right? Or just audio? Today it's just audio. Yeah. Um, most people who are using it will use some other video solution alongside it. And uh, yeah, I mean, certainly we have a roadmap, and it's obvious uh, <laughs> that's coming in the in the not too distant future. Yeah, yeah, very cool. All right, last question then. So let's start with you, Russ. The uh, best piece of business advice that maybe you received or found out on your own. You know, I would say it's talk to everybody. Um, and, you know, the music industry in general is such a strangely dispersed ecosystem. And on this journey, especially my background kind of, you know, coming from being a band director, a college teacher in academia, the conversations I've had with people a full spectrum, you know, music hardware providers or studio people who run studios, studio musicians, people who sell uh, you know, retailers, um, just talking to everybody and getting their feedback on what we are doing, what we're thinking about doing, that would, that's been a big one. And, and not being afraid to, 
walk into a space where you're completely ignorant of what they do. We had the best experience a few weeks ago. We went into a studio in LA uh, that you actually know well, uh, East West Studio, and we got we we got a tour and a walkthrough, and that crew, you know, it, they they just were so excited to share with us what they had going on down there and you know that that ability to walk in and just ask questions that i would give that advice to anybody maybe about anything but especially in business sometimes i feel like the people get pretty protective or pretty insecure and they don't want to just have dialogue with people who are going to be using the product and it's like ah don't do that go talk to folks mike how about you i'm being the serial entrepreneur that you are i'm sure you have something good here uh, the biggest one that comes to mind is to do one thing really well. And it's something that is really hard. It sounds so simple, but it's really hard to do. It's so easy to start out working on something and have all these different ideas of what else it could be and what it would, what it could do. And to, to really be successful, I think most of the time you have to be very focused on solving a very specific problem that has a big need and, uh, and when you can when you can keep that focus and it's something that, that people want and they need, then you, you will do well. You can find out more about Jack Trip Labs at jacktrip.com. That's Jack Trip, J-A-C-K-T-R-I-P, all one word, dot com. Thanks for listening and being in my inner circle. Remember if you have any questions or comments, you can send them to questions at bobbyosensky.com. Remember that you can learn all about the latest in music, audio, and production news when you sign up for my newsletter at bobbyosensky.com. There you'll also find out about openings for my latest online classes and special events. That's bobbyosensky.com. To listen to other episodes of Bobby Osinski's Inner Circle, go to bobbyosinski.com and select the podcast tab, or go to bobbyoinnercircle.com, where you can find it in Apple Podcasts, Apple Music, Stitcher, Mixcloud, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Deezer, Tune in Radio, Radio Public, and Podbean at bobbyosinski.com and bobbyownercircle.com. You'll also find a sign-in form for my newsletter for alerts for new podcasts. This is Bobby Osinski. I will see you next time. Bye.